0: From a coping camp that's no bullshit. He's gonna tell you all about it. Share it if you like it. If you don't like it, give me your hate comments. Love that stuff. Oh. My guest, oh, I shall unmute in a minute since I stop the music. The producer is a clutch here brother what is going on i got your facebook page up in the background here and i'm gonna bring you up on zoom because more of you and less of me is probably a good thing today where are you where'd you go hang on um there we go you can do it jimmy there we go good boy now I have to unmute myself. Oh, that always helps if I unmute myself. <laughs> now you can hear me. Then I ask you to unmute. <laughs> I got your lips up. You should be good to go now. Brother, thanks for joining us today, man. All right. Yeah, so the title says it all, man. Let's just, uh, oh, where'd my Zoom go? Let's get to it, man. Who are you? What happened? What's it all about? And how come nobody's picking up your story, man? I know that's a lot. Yeah, I know.
2: It's crazy. <laughs> so, like, uh, my name's Corey Hagopian. <clears throat> I'm from uh, south on, southern Ontario in a town called St. Catharines, Ontario. Um, I kind of grew up uh, Roman Catholic, Christian-type background. Uh, I grew up with a single mother as my uh, parent when my dad passed away when I was a child. Um, I come from an Armenian background. We like, uh, so like when I was a kid, uh, my country was in the USSR. Uh, I was born in Canada, but we were all raised to, to know what kind of like out, overreach the government can do against their people and stuff. Um, and, uh, so basically when I was in school, you know, I learned about Canadian history and stuff like everyone else. Uh, but to me, it meant something different to see these people in Canada who, like, fought and died for their country and stuff. Uh, it was similar to the people that fought for our country back in Armenia. Um, <clears throat> so I went to St. Catharines Collegiate, a school uh, that's a vocational school. You know, I learned different trades and stuff. And uh, got into computer programming. That was one of my more uh, favored classes. Uh, went to school at, for programming at Niagara College. Um, eventually, I went to... Uh, uh, electronics I switched over to, um, graduated and uh, eventually got into the non-destructive testing field where I got certified as an ultrasonics tester for the Canadian government. Um, so that's like uh, pipelines, boilers and things like that, oil fields. So uh, after doing that, we I decided to move to Alberta where all the jobs were in the field. And uh, the first job that I got this year in that field was at a place called CNRL. Um, it's an oil sand operation. It's uh, one of the bigger ones up north. Um, and they basically, uh, uh, gave me a plane ticket and said, uh, come on out here to work for us for 30 days is the jobs. Um, I basically like, uh, didn't know that I would be flying there. They didn't tell me till about two or three days before I had to be there. Um, which seems to be the, after I've been talking to a few people, it seems to be the the standard that they don't tell you till the day before. The problem with that is that you can't cancel it. So if you cancel your plane ticket, they charge you for it. So right off the bat, you're kind of like held up against the wall, like you have to go. Um, And then, so when I found out I was going to a camp, I immediately asked if they were going to be COVID testing, um, because I don't believe in covid typical treatment on people. They told me that, They could not COVID test uh, against my will. They said, we can't force you to COVID test. So I thought, you know, like anyone else, it's a good paying job. I couldn't handle going and being at a camp for for 30 days. People tell me all these horror stories about how dirty it is and stuff like that. Um, But when you're there to work, you don't really care about that kind of stuff. So uh, immediately when I got on the plane, I knew something was up because uh, the plane instruction said that we would be spaced apart. And the plane was just jam-packed with people. They were all coughing and, and sneezing and stuff like that. There was uh, one guy on the plane who said, uh, you know, um, oh, I think I think I have COVID, but I didn't tell anyone. My wife said just to shut up, and she gave me a bunch of hauls. And uh, <laughs> so he said, uh, yeah, I'm just not going to tell anyone. And everyone was laughing on the plane. We all thought it was kind of funny. Um, and then uh, as soon as I got to the place, they – told us to check in with security, get your badges, get your luggage. And then, uh, we're going to line up for COVID testing. And I was like, I didn't even say anything because I knew if I asked, I could tell that they were, it was security asking and stuff. I could tell immediately that if I asked anything, they would uh, force me. So I just kind of ducked away. I had my room number, my, my bags and everything. So I just went up to bed, snuck away. Um, and then the next day they kind of asked me, they came to my room and said, do you, did you COVID test? And I said, "Uh, no, sorry, like I didn't get a chance to. It was late and they had a huge lineup. Uh, They were closing at 8 o'clock and it was like 7.30 when I got there. So I'm just going to go today after work. And so I just hurried away to work and went and sat down in the training class. And one of the other gentlemen that I was training with, he also uh, was against the COVID testing and uh, me and him both were kind of like, why do we have to COVID test? We asked if we could, if we had to do it. Um, And then he said, uh, the trainer guy, He was like, well, we can't, like, technically we can't force you to COVID test, but we can force you out of here. You can leave. So immediately I was kind of irate about that, the way they were treating it. And uh, I kind of said, you know, like, well, I'm just going to have to quit then. Like, just give me a plane ticket or a bus ticket and I'll get out of here. And he said, well, we're not going to give you any of that stuff because you might have COVID and we might, we don't This is somebody who's on their first day. You know, I didn't have any symptoms just because I refused a COVID test, they, they assume you have COVID at these places. So they uh, they said, uh, you're gonna have to find your own way home. The problem with that is that there's no, bus, there's no buses there. There's no uh, uh, Ubers or co- taxis or anything like that. And it's a 24 hour walk to the nearest town through the wilderness. And I said, <laughs> you know, like, this is ridiculous. Like, it's a <laughs>
0: then, yeah,
2: if you leave too, they take the money for the plane ticket off your checks. So, that I would have to pay $700 for that plane ticket, even though they flew me there. So, the whole site too is absolutely humongous. So, to get to the end of the security gates is a four and a half hour walk. So, even just to get to the last security gate is a trek on its own. Um, and uh, so, I just accepted, you know, I said, I'm just going to go get this test. I kind of protested and the the trainer guy said, you know, I'm sick of hearing you cry about it. Go to talk to the nurse and see what she says. Um, so I just kind of went and talked to the nurses and uh, they didn't really speak English. They were kind of like, uh, not able to understand my concerns and stuff. And uh, I just kind of did it, you know, one time I'll do it, that's it. And that was the problem that I had is that I just kind of submitted with their pressure um, so the first test was negative. Uh, they did it kind of wrong. They were only supposed to go in the, in the nostril. They actually went right in the first time um, because at that time when they were doing it, the Alberta health system wasn't clear on how to do the tests. And it was uh, kind of like uh, none of the nurses knew what they were doing. Um, it was all over the news and stuff. So then uh, we, uh, I went to work. I started working and everything was fine. Everything was good. We were all working for about a week or two um before the end of the first week they started uh cutting our days off they said oh we're preparing for the covid uh evacuation that's gonna happen because the year before they said it happened so they were like already preparing for us to have to go home for covid and um they just like uh started saying you know we're gonna have to have have you guys go test once a week and uh, they started giving us all these forms that all the workers were calling snitch forms. It's like these papers with like 20 slots. And it has instructions if you see somebody not wearing their mask or if somebody coughs or uh, if even if they have their mask under their nose for more than 15 minutes, you're supposed to snitch on them. And uh, that alone is enough to get you isolated, even without testing. They'll isolate you just for that. Um, and then basically... Uh, So no, all the supervisors said, don't put anyone's name on the snitch form because everyone wanted to work and make money, you know. And then, uh, so they said, every once a week, we're going to have to COVID test. And I protested that as well. I tried to get out of it. They just kept bugging me and bugging me. And because they went so deep the first time, I was like, no, I'm not doing it. Like, you're nuts. Um, But eventually, you know, they said, "Uh, if you don't do it, we're going to kick you off the site. We're going to take the money for the plane ticket. So like for all the days I worked, they were going to take all my money away and not pay me and stuff. They're like, oh, we've been known to not pay employees and uh, good luck getting your money kind of thing. Um, so then uh, basically I just did what they asked and just kept working and pretended that it wasn't really that bad or that big of a deal. Um, at this point, the nurses, they were doing the proper uh, in the nose kind of test, not deep. Um, so... It was once a week, then it was once every 72 hours before that week was over. Before that 72 hours was over, it was once every 48 hours, and then it was every day. And at that point when they were testing us every day, everybody started testing positive. Um, Nobody was sick. I didn't see a single sick person. Um, The only person that was sick was this uh, supervisor who was bragging about all his vaccines that he got, and uh, he was just like completely bragging about it, shaming everybody. And, uh, he was the only one I saw that was sick. And so we all started testing positive one at a time. Uh, and when I tested positive, I said, you know what, I I'm done with this place. I don't care if you take my money. I don't care if you don't give me a ride. I'm out of here. I'll walk through the, the forest. Um, and then I kind of, uh, started filming them when they started threatening me with, uh, jail time. And, uh, I didn't have a choice and, uh, I would submit. They're like, you're, you're gonna submit. You don't have a choice. You'll go to jail for two years. We've called the RCMP. They're on their way to get you. Like just crazy stuff they were saying. So uh, I just said, no, I don't care. I'd rather deal with the RCMP than deal with you guys because they're actually police and you're all volunteers and swab technicians and security guards. So just get me out of here. I know my rights. Um, I learned my rights just basically from watching Chris Sky. Like I always learned about the charter of rights and stuff. Uh, But Chris Sky really summed it up what you have to say to these people. And uh, it totally worked. They were scared. They didn't know what to say. They were kind of laughing at me and stuff. Uh, But uh, once I packed up my bags, so basically I tested positive at the end of a shift. They called me about half an hour later when I was just about to eat dinner. And then they said, you have 10 minutes to pack up all your stuff. You're going to isolation. When they showed up at my door, uh, within 10 minutes, they're ready to get you. I didn't even have time to pack my suitcase or anything. Like a lot of my stuff, they just kept, they haven't given it back to me or anything. And then uh, they said, come on, you can get your stuff later after you isolate for 14 days or whatnot. And uh, you're going to be tested within the hour. So they totally steamroll you. And I noticed that when I was in the isolation center, they were doing that to everybody. People were coming in at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, or at like four or five in the morning. It was never like a time when, you'd be like able to make decisions and stuff. Um, Also, so they, they brought me outside, I said, no, I'm leaving point me to the gate, show me where I have to go to get out of here. They would mess with me by pointing, they'd say go to that gate over there. I'd walk to the gate, it was locked. Have to walk all the way back, they're laughing at me, say that gate's locked. They're like, oh, well, I meant that gate over there. So walk all the way to this gate, locked again, And then I said, I'm going to hop the fence, man. I'm just going to throw my bags over and and jump over the fence. And uh, they they said, if you do that, you'll go to jail for two years. This is a federal defense site. If you climb the fence, it's a federal offense. They threw everything at me. You know, they said, "Uh, you're going to have to do it. It's the law. You're going to go to jail. And uh, yeah, so then basically security and the health team refused letting me leave. And after about two or three hours of them messing with me, my phone died, so I didn't have a map because uh, I had a bike trail that I print that I had out on my phone uh, to know where, where to walk, even though it was 24-hour walk straight. Like, I didn't care at this point. They were absolute crazy people. Um, so then uh, after I was exhausted, I, you know, went to them and said, listen, you guys aren't telling me how to get out of here. You're not giving me uh, – the right advice and stuff. And now my phone's dead. I can't carry all these bags across 24 hours in the wilderness. Just take me to wherever you need me to go. Uh, and I'm going to charge my phone and call a lawyer. Um, so they kind of like were nice to me after that here, sign these forms. Let's go. Um, I signed the forms under duress. Like I was completely exhausted and just mentally beat down. I was embarrassed for getting upset. Like they just, they held out as long as they could until I submitted. Um, so then they said, the guy's going to come and test you after one hour. I, uh, basically told the guy when he showed up, if you touch me with that test, I'm going to sue you or worse. Like I was ready to, you know, hit the guy. And, uh, he said, no, we can't force you to do that. Here's a, a, a paper with your rights on it that they don't give to you unless you freak out and ask for it. Um, so the, the, paper that he gave me had all the different rights and choices that I had, but they told me I didn't have any choices. So one of them was to write to the AHS uh, a plan for that I would need to get approved to leave site on my own. Um, And the number one thing was you had to be from Alberta. So all my friends who were from Newfoundland or people from BC even weren't allowed to leave right off the bat, there's no chance of them leaving. Um, And then, you know, basically, uh, they just ignored my my emails. They didn't answer me. Once they had me in isolation, they had me. The room was just filthy. There was like, uh, you know, people coughed on the desk beside the bed. I could still see the spit marks and stuff. And the bathroom had like waste on the floor, like human waste and stuff. And uh, if they really believed that it was like people with COVID, they should have cleaned it because I... I tested positive on the PCR test, which was not even accurate at all. I wasn't sick. I had no fever. Um, It was just insane. So basically when I was in there too, they fed me different food than everybody because I wouldn't comply. And uh, a lot of people would say like, oh, well, at least you got fed. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's true. I did get fed. But, you know, when they're feeding you just barley and coffee and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that are like stale and hard, you know, it breaks you down mentally. And the whole time that I was there, they kept asking me to test like, Oh, oh, you know, if you test, you're going to just, you'll be able to go back to work and, you know, it's going to shorten your your time here if you just go test and uh, supervisors were calling me and uh, nurses, security guards, uh, CEOs and stuff from CNRL were calling me and pretending to be other people. Um, and the first three or four days, I didn't know what to do. I've never been in a situation like this um, till eventually I got in contact with a lawyer who uh, spoke to them for me and told me what to say, what to do. Um, he told me to record everything. So I started recording every conversation and stuff. And uh, basically, they let me out after I started doing that and just really being like, I need everything in writing. Um, I'm, I'm recording you right now. You, you understand you're being recorded. Um, even sometimes he was on three-way calling with me, and he would be listening in while it was happening. Um, yeah, so it was it was pretty uh, intense. And then I saw that I knew that I was getting different food because my friend was in the camp next to me under isolation. He uh, basically said, uh, "What's for dinner every day?" And I would show him because I got fed before him. I was in like A camp or whatever, and he was in B camp. So he would say, what did you get for dinner today? What are we having? And I would send him pictures, and he'd be like, dude, like, I can't keep eating this stuff, you know? And then when his food would arrive, he'd be like, they must not like you, man. And then he would send me pictures of steak and potatoes and stuff, and I was just so mad. He'd <laughs> get chocolate bars and stuff and chips. It was just ridiculous. Dude, what a
0: story. Um, talk to me, how are you feeling from all this? You, I don't know you that well, but I mean – you know, this, are you, how has it impacted you? How are you feeling? Like, I mean, did, how has it affected so, your way of being now at oh, all? Oh, totally. Yeah. I
2: feel like completely uh, emotionless now. Like me and my girlfriend are kind of having problems because, you know, I'm not, I'm not here. I'm like, I feel numb. Um, you know, if she tries to rub my shoulders, I can't even, I can't even feel it. You know, it's like, I'm not sleeping. I, I'm not eating well. Um, it's really affected me. Like uh, I've had post-traumatic stress in the past from witnessing a violent crime about 15, 20 years ago. Um, And I've been fine ever since I took all these kind of courses and stuff to help me when I was younger, but uh, it's totally re-triggered these symptoms and stuff of like nightmares every day. Um, Like they didn't beat me up or anything. I didn't see anything violent, but just losing my freedoms like that um, and being somebody who knows my rights and somebody who, doesn't take this kind of treatment from anybody. Anybody that knows me knows that I don't, I won't take, uh, I don't take authority very well unless it's proper authority. You know, like if it's, you know, a fireman says you have to get out of this house. It's on fire. I'm not going to get mad at him, you know, but, uh, so when I like look out my window, I see the apartment across and it's lined up like all these windows. It kind of, I'll get in a trance, just staring at it, thinking I'm in the place. And, uh, you know, a lot of the foods they fed me in there, I just, I can't even stomach. Like they gave one of the, the treats that I had was bananas. They would give me a banana and it's like, you know, even if it's kind of going bad, I still kind of like them. I can't even stand Like my girlfriend brought me bananas and I can't even eat them, you know? Um, another thing too, is any drafts that come in the door. Cause I was, I was in there with actual sick people. I don't know much about medical stuff but if you hear someone coughing and spitting you know you don't want to share the same air as them so i blocked all the they gave us these biohazard bags too it's all these all your garbage has to go in these biohazard bags so they make you feel like you're a leper from the second you get there um i tore up the bags and i used them to stuff in the vents and stuff so that i wouldn't have air circulated with all these sick people and uh even at home now i'm finding myself if i feel a draft it's like I go and stuff a, a blanket under the door, or like stuff that's like just kind of crazy, you know. Um, it has really affected me negatively. I I just don't know the extent of it yet. Um, but it's and then also like now I just have total mistrust for our government. Like the fact that they could do that to somebody who doesn't want to be there and refuses against their rights to leave, uh, and then them get away with it too. Like it was just it's just sad.
0: What's next moving forward?
2: Um, so basically, I have contacted some human rights lawyers. I've been in contact with about you know, 20 different lawyers trying to get help while I was in there. Um, a lot of them couldn't help me because they're either uh, you know, criminal lawyers or whatever. I don't know much about the law, um, but I did get in contact with the JCCF. Uh, there are some human rights lawyers out of Calgary that do these kind of cases, and uh, they're basically doing all the work for me. And uh, I sent them all my evidence. Um, I have lots of recordings and emails and texts and uh, videos, uh, just tons of evidence. I have all the forms they gave me, I kept and uh, gave them handed them all over. And uh, the last time I spoke to them, they said that I'm not the only person that's coming forward with this. Um, There's about six or seven other people that are involved in this case. And uh, so basically what I'm trying to do is get in contact with as many people who have been through this or have or who are going through it right now. And uh, if they don't know what to do or they they don't know how to get out like I did, then I need them to contact me because uh, I know exactly what to say now, exactly what to do. Uh, I know the the lies that they tell you. I know the stuff that's true. And uh, the RCMP, you know, they told me they couldn't arrest me. They said I could have taken a bus anytime because they said if you if you get on a bus, you're flagged now. And if you get on the bus, you're going to go to jail for two years just for taking a bus. So like I was going to leave the first day and just hop on a bus as soon as I could, like the 24 hour walk, get on a bus and go home. Um, But I was so scared and my family was scared. My mom was scared. Um, Everyone was telling me, don't do it. Bears are going to eat you. The wolves are going to eat you. And uh, being from Southern Ontario, like I don't really deal with wildlife too much, but I spoke with these hunters who said, you know, the bears are more scared of you than anything out here because of all the construction and stuff. They don't want to mess with humans. Like there's, there's isolated cases where they do attack humans, but it's mostly because you've fed them so many times and uh, you've interacted with them. But if they just see you walking through, they're terrified of you. So all the security guards said, you know, it's a death sentence if you go through there. Mm. But uh, basically, I've been trying to contact with as many people as I can. Yeah. A lot of the people don't want to speak out and they just comply because they're afraid of losing their jobs and stuff. Um, but the thing is, is uh, I lost my job as soon as I refused the test. And uh, the other girl who, who I helped get out of there, she did everything that she was supposed to. Um, the only thing was, is that she didn't want to stay there. So they let her go. Um, But she got blacklisted as well, and she did everything they asked. So they said she might have a new variant that's a 90-day variant so that she she can't work there for another 90 days. Um, And then they told me that I had a medical site suspension, and that would last for the pandemic. But then they told me in the same sentence, they said, but after this pandemic is over, we're not going to hire you back. You're not allowed to come back here. Um, and then after that, I got, uh, let, let go from my jobs. I had lined up. I had jobs for, uh, May to July and, uh, August to October. And both those companies contacted me and said, uh, we don't want you at our site because you refuse the COVID test, which, uh, they got, they got around discrimination because I work for a contracting company that hires me out to these people. Okay. So both N- of them named the employer, got their butts Name the Pardon employer me. again. So I worked for CNRL, uh, Canadian National Resources Limited, and uh, my company that I worked for was called Acurin, and they've blacklisted me too now. So like I, I had I was on good terms with them, but now I've uh, now now they've blacklisted me. So
0: I want to get back to more of the blacklisting. If we can go into a little bit more detail about it, but first, what is it about the mask that you're opposed to? Earth, sorry, not the mask. The the test, like you said, they didn't know how to give them, and I get that she was doing it incorrectly if they're going too deeply. Uh, but what's your initial? Yeah. What's your problem with getting tested or getting swabbed in the first place?
2: So when I was a child, I had surgery on my sinuses and my throat. Um, it's kind of the reason I have kind of like a weird voice. I had a different voice before, and uh, my throat and I so I had uh, tonsils out, uh, my adenoids out and I had some surgery on my sinuses, I'm not too sure exactly what they did. But I have a large cavity in my face. And uh, it clots on its own without any, without any intervention, I get extreme clotting. Sorry, there's kind of like somebody cleaning in the hallway.
0: You're all good. man.
2: uh, So I I get clotting that uh, has hospitalized me twice in the last probably 10 years. And uh, the doctors told me that it could kill me at any time. It's such a bad problem that uh, I literally could just die one day from it. So I don't like having anything on my throat, in my nose. Um, And uh, when I told them that, they said they would do a throat swab, which, like, I also didn't agree to. Um, That's also why I don't like wearing a mask, because I'm also prone to sinus infections. Um, And basically, when the girl, when the first girl did the test, and she did it really deep, Um, I started bleeding the next morning. I bled profusely, like a cup full of blood. I went down to tie my shoes and it was just like, and uh, I said that that would happen before um, I got the test. That was the initial reason I was protesting because I didn't want to bleed. And then I bled for probably three days afterwards. It just was like a slow bleeding. And uh, my sinuses haven't been the same ever since. Like, uh yeah that's basically why i
0: don't like wearing masks or um the swab dude i'm sorry i hate to laugh but this seems like an absolute like a nightmare from beyond like you can't write this stuff this is stranger than fiction man this this like i don't know i mean you seem like a legit guy i I, you know i was introduced to you from a a friend that i trust I, i you know um and I just find myself, even when you're talking about your PTSD, and I'm so, sorry, man, I just don't mean to minimalize it, but all I'm left with is this stupid grin on my
2: face because I am, can't believe what I'm hearing when you're telling the story. Yeah, I know. It's kind of a tragic comedy. You know, I, I have a good sense of humor with stuff. So when, when this stuff happens to me, which my whole life has been kind of tragic, my when my father passed away at a young age is really when I got – a true taste of what life is all about. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been rough, <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a strong willed individual and I just kind of got gone through everything and just kept, kept going, laced my boots, get back to work kind of thing. So yeah, I appreciate like, you know, I, I understand it's like when people are like, Oh my God. And they kind of laugh and stuff. I understand because life is a tragic comedy, you know,
0: we've got a, we've got a guest that's joined us. Um, Danielle, thank you. Have you got your lips up yet? I can't see. Can I hear you? Oh, um, there you are. Yeah, no, I know we hear you. Hey, you thank you Danielle. for for hey, jumping man. on. I didn't know, but this kid is so fond of you. I must say, I am as well. You're one of the th- what I refer to as the three three queens. Bad <laughs> description, but t- you'll take it because you're not on social media, so you, think you can't <laughs> def- you can't defend it yourself. I can say whatever I want about you anonymously, but you hooked me up with this guy and he's really grateful and fond of you for like helping him out. And I had you touch him up again last night, comment on like what's going on here, man. I just, I'm blown away by it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it. it, it is, it's, it's really crazy. We hear these stories and it's like, you're describing a movie that you saw and it's, it's hard not to laugh at the absurdity of it, but then you're, you get hit with the reality of it. And it's like, this is really scary, it's it's really messed up. And, uh, you know, we've been inundated with this uh, entertainment of World War II. It's not real to us, it's entertainment. We think of these things as as exciting the way you think of wanting to be like a, a hardy boy. And so you hear about these things and it's like, wow, cool. Like you went through that and it's like, no, it's it's not not cool. And it's like, oh, good people are hearing your story. And it's like, well, I'd rather not have the story to tell. So it's, it's, it's totally scary. And yeah, I, I feel for Corey and I think he's really brave for coming out and, and saying these words and saying the name of, of this employer. And it's, um, it's really messed up what our government has allowed. Just the fact that these resource companies who, who owns them, uh, that they're just like, oh, you sign up for work? Yeah, now now you're a slave. Like, it's really messed up that the government doesn't step in. They're not knowing what's going on in these places, obviously. And I'm sure there was bad practices before all this, and they use COVID as a, a big excuse. You know, and it's it's not enough that you say, like, I have rights or I don't want you sticking something up my nose. Like, it's really, you don't even know what to say about it.
0: <laughs> Corey, tell us a little bit more about the- like moving forward have you got any actionable like recourse at all on the province the government the the corporations Uh, do you have any legal recourse at all
2: um so i believe i do Um, all the forms that they made me sign for example when i got to site um, because my friend got me the job um they didn't give me the proper employee uh orientation they kind of did an on-the-fly orientation, and uh, I didn't actually sign the COVID forms until after I was already tested, um, as well as the day that I signed the isolation forms. Um, I was under extreme duress, and uh, I recorded the whole thing, so they uh, basically um, kind of did it illegally and impromptu uh, at the last minute. Um, I was also told by my lawyers that even if I signed stuff, uh, about going to isolation or being, agreeing to the COVID testing because I, I made the statement that I refuse and I don't, and I quit. Um, they basically have no right to force me to do anything. Um, another thing too was that when I wrote the email uh, for the approval to leave, they actually gave it to me on the 16th, but it was I was approved to leave on the 12th. And uh, the email stated that the one nurse withheld it from me And uh, I called every single day trying to find out when I could leave. And uh, they basically just, like, you know, lied to me to keep me there. Um, And I do believe that they're making money off of this uh, from feeding us. They make money from – because everything you have to sign, you have to sign forms to say that you want food. And then they collect all the forms. And I believe that they're, you know, handing it in like an invoice. Um, And I think that's why they – they're also getting paid to test. Uh, they're part of the pilot project for the uh, Al- Alberta health system, yes. where they've given them like 400,000 tests or something, and they're wow. just sitting around waiting to test everybody.
0: How about the media coverage? Since this has gone down, I know you've talked to a couple independent podcasters. Maybe uh, I think you have been vocal since. Are you are you uh, celebrating freedom in some of these? for lack of better term, protests against lockdowns and stuff like that. But tell me specifically before we get into that, how's mainstream media hasn't tried to pick this up at all? Has anyone knocked on your door at all? Have you even looked for it?
2: Uh, So I did message a few news sources, and I know a bunch of my friends have reached out when I was in the camps trying to get a hold of people like uh, Rebel News and CBC and CBS and stuff like that. Um, but no one has actually come forward. I, I was told that uh, people from Rebel News were coming to get me out numerous times. They said, they're coming to get you, kid. Today there's a convoy coming, and then no one would show up. Um, when I got in touch with people like... Who were you uh, talking to A like, Rebel? I don't want to... Pardon me?
0: Who were you talking to A Rebel that was giving you false hope?
2: Uh, so... I don't really know much about Rebel News, so I don't know the people that are involved, but I spoke to mayors and stuff who were like, I'm contacting Sheila Gunn-Reed. And uh, okay, what was the other guy's name? I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but they said, uh, she's over in the town next to you, she's coming to get you, this and that. And uh, they just never showed up. The actual (laughs) people that came and rescued me, I thought were with Rebel News. They were just my Facebook friends, just people, strangers I don't even know. I had to uh, trust them to go to my house, get my car keys from my girlfriend and drive my personal vehicle all the way to Fort Mackay where I was being held. And, uh, I've never met these people. I was only Facebook friends with them for about a day or two. Um, but they would call me every single day and they would keep my spirits up. They kept saying, you know, you're going to get out of there. We're going to get you out of there. Tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's the day. And, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, really nice people that I didn't even know and now they're they're like my family like I love these people they don't want to be named though because of their own personal reasons but uh, you know they really went all all I had to do was pay the gas so but it was a gamble you know they were asking me for my ownership of my car and stuff <laughs> and when you hand over your ownership it's kind of like uh-oh. But, uh oh but I had no other choice I had no other choice for my girlfriend's life in danger uh, my whole livelihood in danger and my way out endangered but uh yeah so rebel news they still haven't contacted me back um and cbc cbs they haven't even contacted me back when i actually got in touch with somebody from rebel news they said they were checking the facts and that was all i got from them
0: uh, danielle i'd like you to weigh in on what type of abuses you abuses you see here against this guy like even just the okay. i mean the assault of the swab going too deep uh, you know, like what else? What human rights has been have been violated here? I just had, do you have a list I mean, of charter infractions, <laughs> subsection by subsection, that have been?
1: You think you think it's basically all of them? It's, it would be all of our fundamental freedoms, and it would be unlawful detainment, and uh, you're allowed to refuse medical treatment, let alone a test. You could have you could have your leg broken and refuse a cast. You could be bleeding out and refuse a band aid, and so to think that you can't refuse anything else is just—it's—it's it's a crime. And and what's crazy too is I brought up Corey in my delegation, and none of those counselors took a moment to ask. I was grilled on my credibility, uh, but nobody said, "Well, hold on a second, you mentioned that someone from St. Catherine's within our region was was detained. Can you?" elaborate on that. Wow. So it's, it's, it's not even just like your, your personal rights when these things are happening to you, but also like the right to be heard and the freedom of the press who won't go near this. So that's being infringed upon too, is the freedom of the press because they don't want anyone to know any of this. And that's why they want, they need to give the media more money right now. So I haven't gone over right by right with Corey on on what's gone down, but it's very obvious when you go to a job, you should be able to refuse unsafe work. And if you're telling me in order to receive a paycheck, I gotta stick this thing up my nose and you have no safety data on that. Like you can't, and you can't even prove, you can't even prove that it's the actual infection. They don't even distinguish between we found a particle of a virus up inside your nose versus you have an infection of that virus. Two very, very, very different things. It's just really scary. I don't know what to say. All right, right? I don't know or
0: what to say that? either. It sounds like a good time to kind of wrap it up. I'd want to wrap it up with something hopeful though. Like, you know, I, I'm listening to Anthony Anthony Cumia. Uh, McKenna starts doing a weekly live thing with uh, Cumia. Uh, i don't know what he did before anthony and what was the show i don't know they're a big hit. i like anthony coom yeah, but he's an old school old language applies and they start doing this 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 uh wednesday night live thing was Com- compound censored whatever where am i going oh and he's he's he says to gavin at the end of the show dude do you have any optimism left and you you could hear in Anthony's voice like he's he's devastated by the state, and I try to think, you know, in the '60s we had Vietnam and some really wacky stuff was going down, and we were way more racist back then, and we actually had you know you know segregation and some stupid crazy things. The KKK actually had influence back then. You know We don't have anything like that today. But this today is a new type of scary. And when he asked Gavin on the way out you could tell he was defeated, because <laughs> Gavin's like, yep, and he's like, okay. <laughs> he says, that's what you always say when I say I'm hopeful. I I struggle with my hope. I want to hear from you. Like, where do you see a silver lining in all this craziness? Because it's identity politics, it's, it's infringement of the liberties, it's lockdowns, it's suicides. Nobody, it's controlling the narrative. We see it locally here. You know, a friend of mine crystallized it perfectly between Walter Senzik, the chief of the NRP, uh, all of the mainstream media, supposedly responsible media and government with the region and people like we've talked about on the show. Well, you see what's going on in my face. Well, you don't. You're not on there. But it's crazy the level of five-year-oldness we've succumbed to. And... (laughs) give it like, tell me there's something like this. We're all going through this. We're all just training for a bigger battle. It's all in God's plan. There's a meaning for this. So something good is going to come out of it. What is it? Danielle, you're first.
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's, it's the truth. It's that pimple you pop and then the next day it's way bigger, you know, and you got to pop it again and pop it again. That's, that's where we're at. And people like Corey, who, even faced with all that, even faced with rotten food and um, just, you know, they, they, they tried they tried to break him and he just kept saying no and he, and he stuck with it. That gives me hope. People who say, you know what? This is weighed upon my conscience enough and I'm not gonna go for this anymore and I'm not gonna give in and I'm not gonna give in. I know Corey's not gonna give in. It gives me a lot of hope that, that people come forward uh and that people are are waking up, and right now they don't have the enforcement, okay, they don't have it. they are relying on us to enforce it upon ourselves. Right. We put on the mask, we stay home all all of these things. has anyone gotten their Victoria Cross for all the lives they've saved? Mm-hmm. I haven't
0: i will so, I will add on to that that my own as you preach girl, you know, as you're talking, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I refuse to believe that even though so many people are indoctrinated now into a false narrative uh, that are not doing their own research or just falling in line breaks my heart. I hate to keep saying that, but I, I really suffer from it because I love people and I hate to see them masking children. I hate to see them buying into lies like white cops or indiscriminately shooting hunting black men in the states it's just it breaks my heart that anyone could believe all of that so but i refuse to believe that they're that far gone that a year from now they'll look back on their own personal experience and actually see some real stats you know and go you know it hasn't affected my life all that much in fact the lockdowns, I know more suicide victims from lockdowns than I do victims of COVID. Um, yeah, I have a couple of people that told me quietly off the record that they had it. They've since come public about it. But I mean, one of my friends works in public health. She's recovered from COVID, tested positive, had a few days of not so great symptoms. And th- here's the other thing. 50% of us that get COVID don't know we get it. We're asymptomatic or naturally immune. It's just like West Nile. West Nile. Nobody was talking about the fact that eighty percent of the people that got West, ooh, West Nile virus, showed no symptoms. You didn't even know you had it. Um. Uh, anyway, now I'm rambling. Where was I going? Oh, yeah. I refuse to think that w- the humans are that far gone that they won't. <clears throat> excuse me. Be able to look back and realize that the impact on their life has been nothing, not even negligible, like zero. And then. The lockdown measures, the hysteria, right down to we're seeing some scary shit like uh, like shedding of vaccines with women's cycles. Are you, like I'm not a I'm not a guy that gets hooked on conspiracies, but some of this stuff no, the stuff the is insane. On,
1: on miscarriage will will be horrifying, and we will see that also in in population when. You know, if schools are around and we see that enrollment for those couple of years where there's mm. just they, they don't have it.
0: Anyways, that's more of the negative. I right. want to say that I <laughs> refuse to believe that like people's expe- lived experience will finally absolutely. be what rules their life moving forward. And you might get a little bit more of this to the man so, because the man when doesn't I... know what's best for me.
1: Corey, when I met you, we were out front of the Niagara region last year, and I believe that was the second time we were out. So the first time we were out, there was about 30 of us, I would say. The second time when I met Corey, I believe there was about 100. That was uh, not quite a year ago. It was in the summer. Well, now we're going out. I mean, Jim Fan and you you can attest that we went from 100 people to maybe 1,500, 1,800, 2,000. So we're seeing that now where people have just had enough. And the the weather is nice. They wanna be outside. They feel good. We haven't had an outbreak uh, related to us or anything like that. I'm out there living my life. I'm not dead. You guys are dead. I haven't had a sniffle. Actually, if, it, if anyone knows where I could get a sniffle, let me know. I, I can't
0: find one. You can buy one for the right price. Sniffles are for sale everywhere. Corey, uh, just on the way out, it, like I really appreciate you, one, for being vulnerable. I could see the emotion in your in your speech, man. It's like um, – but on the other hand, you know, if I'm playing devil's advocate, before I get your message of hope, let me just say – um, What do you got to say for the people? Like, oh, fuck this guy. He's been looking for attention his whole life. We're like, seriously. <laughs> and, you know, I, I didn't know the PTSD thing. Man, that's serious, serious business, man. I don't know any – I don't understand that because I don't think I suffer from that, oh, not at a severe level anyways. So that's huge. I didn't know that your medical condition actually gives you every reason in the world not to stick a Chinese six-inch swab into your brain cavity, for lack of a better term, yeah. you know? So, but, uh, yeah, just as devil, devil's advocate, I'm not coming from that angle, obviously, but, you know, maybe there's the people out there that will say, nah, this guy's just looking to pick get picked up by, get get a story out or whatever. Activist, yeah. you know?
2: A lot of people have said that kind of stuff to me. There's a lot of naysayers who, like, they say, you know, I've worked at this place for 20 years before in the past, and it it was bad, but it was never anything like that. I'm the last person that I would think this would happen to, literally Danielle, when she met me. And when we got in contact with each other, we kind of laughed. We said, how the heck did this happen to you? And uh, basically what I have to say to those people is that, you know, I went through it, and uh, I don't want anyone else to go through it. That's the only reason, the only motivation I have is what they made me feel like in there, knowing my rights and and not wanting people to be taken advantage of. So these people who deny me and and say anything, I give them my email address, and I say, if you ever get in these camps, contact me, and I'll drive there myself and get you out. Like, that's basically my stance is we have to come together. And then for the message of hope kind of thing is – You know, I went to my first rally. I've never spoken. I'm not someone who's in the limelight. I don't even like pictures of myself being taken. Like for me to be on an interview face-to-face with somebody on video is absolutely horrifying for me. But the drive that I have to get this message out is worth more than anything I've ever done in my life. And uh, basically, I've been, you know, contacted by numerous people who are in the same position. Uh, They validate me by saying, you know, I got goosebumps from hearing your story because it's the exact same thing I went through, but I was too scared to lose my career. I was too scared to, you know, come out and have repercussions. And basically I'm just getting out there to tell you, you know, that these are empty threats that they're doing. Like you might lose your career. You might get blacklisted, but you're not going to be working anyways. If you get isolated, they don't pay you for isolation. And then like my friend, uh, Ashley, who she lost her job anyways, you know, she did everything they asked and she still lost her job. And, uh, you know, I've got friends who stay in the camps just because they don't know how to cook and they want their they want free food every day. Like that's the kind of mindset that these people have that are compliant when it comes down to it, where they're going to force, like, say, a vaccine or whatever they're going to do, even like ventilators, they might, you know, put on you. If it comes to that, man, like I'm willing to come and get anybody at any time for for to rescue them. And I don't care what happens to me or uh, what kind of ne- ne- like nefarious uh publicity I get, I, I don't really mind, you know, because there's always a hundred people that are telling me, you know, good for you, good job. This is what we need. We need people to come out. And uh, when I spoke at the rally, every single person there already knew me. I, this is my first time in public. Everybody knew me. Everyone knew my story. And uh, they all kind of like talked to me about their lives and what they, and it's just being, a being surrounded by intelligent people who have the same kind of uh, mindset and, uh, you know, they're open-minded and and, and it's just an You're amazing feeling me, to be surrounded man. by these people. And it's, it's more and more every day that yeah. are waking up to this. And um, it was just absolutely amazing. Like back in Ontario, like Danielle said, there's so many people that are speaking up. Out here in Alberta, it's only like 20 or 30 people. So I hope that when I go out there and talk, that it's, you know, going to help people kind of wake up to this. Um, but yeah, my, my thing is, is that, you know, Stories like mine and other people who go through stuff like this, like Chris Guy getting arrested and stuff, it's opening people's eyes. Slowly but surely, people are waking up and that's really all I care about. You know, I don't get paid for this. I don't get any kind of like monetary gain. I actually am working as a pizza delivery guy now when I have like all these degrees and stuff. So it hasn't been good for me at all. So yeah, basically, I'm free to help anybody at any time. That's just kind of who I am. So
0: Danielle's going to cry. Me too. What? No, I mean seriously, that is a pretty emotional story, and I've been, i didn't spend enough time with you to get all the details on it. But when you hit on the PTSD, man, it's—it's it's heartbreaking that that you could be triggered in that way, and that our own government would not step in, and that the media wouldn't report on it. I mean, that's not so surpri- not so surprising, I guess, if you know what the media is like. But we don't
1: have the funds, right? Right, Jim, you know, they don't have the funds. And that's why Chair Bradley so graciously is going to write a letter, you know, to get them some money.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, brother, how can uh, everyone get a hold of you? And I don't think you're, you don't have a GoFundMe or anything like that. I don't know. Maybe you should start something like that. I know that's not kind of your style, but you're going to have some lawyer's fees that you got to pay for. No? I mean,. As you keep rolling here, people are going to want to know how they can send you some coin, even if it's for dinner or something. I'd like to buy you a beer. Here's 10 bucks. Here's a case. You know what I mean? I don't know if you're a drinking man, but, uh, yeah, how can people get a hold of you if they want to touch you up or give you some love or support you in any way, I guess?
2: Um. So, basically, I, I don't have any kind of fundraisers or anything. I've, I've been keeping track. People have given me uh, donations for gas to get to these rallies because it is kind of like a far drive. Um, I've been kind of uh, taking the hit myself with my own money. I did make a a few bucks working there for the two weeks. Um, It's kind of a high-paying job, but you can get a hold of me at my personal email. I give that out willingly. It's uh, my last name and my first name at gmail.com. So it's H-A-G-O-P-I-A-N-C-O-R-E-Y at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, I don't really want any donations, but if if people want to donate, you know, I don't drink or do drugs or anything. I don't smoke. Um, so basically I just kind of. Uh, He's a good uh, lad. I stockpile. knew he was a good lad.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just kind of stockpile it and keep it uh, all recorded. And I keep all my receipts for gas and stuff. And, you know, once I reach a certain limit, like people gave me $300 for gas. Um, I use 150 bucks of that to get to, to Calgary uh, kind of meetings and rallies and stuff. And uh, now I'm just kind of focusing on the Edmonton scene. Uh, just because I don't want to use all the money for only one or two protests. so I'm using it to get to like different ones in, in Edmonton and um, for ones I'm speaking at and I go meet and greet people and cause I, I'm just trying to find other people that are in the same position as me and uh, people can also email me at that email. It's my personal email address um, for any anyone who's stuck. like I get all these tips all the time from from whistleblowers and uh, so far they've all been correct. It's, it's, it's insane. People don't believe me when I share them, but then, you know, when the day comes where they're going to do this at this day, it actually happens. So I appreciate everyone's uh, reaching out to me and, uh, you know, I have been have so many Facebook friends now that are all open-minded. Um, but yeah, just basically, you know, I tried to start a Patreon where I was going to, like, do videos and stuff, uh, but the second I uh, finalized it, I got banned off of Facebook instagram patreon wow nice good man
0: oh so you've been sent really did you take a youtube account i got most of them back did you
2: okay good. yeah i got most of them back but uh even even my indeed got erased my resumes and everything it was really strange so i had to start a new indeed right my i have backups of it so it wasn't that hard but it was crazy
0: wow you're a hero man roddy it says oh for heaven's sakes write your email on a piece of paper and hold it up to the camera so we can catch it we'll put it in the remarks todd uh awesome man well i really appreciate the time i think i don't know that we've left anything out here we've got, gone at it from all angles danielle i appreciate you coming into your conversation on it as well and uh, moving forward i wish you the best of luck brother i don't know what else so maybe much yeah, if yeah a... thanks for
2: having me you know it's just about the message and getting everyone together so <laughs> i appreciate everyone you know all the people who come to the protests are all heroes in my eyes i just went through it you know i'm just trying <laughs> preventing other people from going through it or that's the real heroes man
0: you know i never really said i had anything to protest uh, but i'm getting kidnapped on saturday and i think i'm appearing at my second one this year i emceed the first one i got some love letters from michelle brown yesterday danielle yeah, some little green love lever- letters. Yep. Um, oh well, what can you do? I, at least I got the paper now, finally. Because anyway, brother, I love you. Thank you for the time. Uh, good luck. If you want to get picked up, if some, if you got a new development, uh, I'm really interested in uh, you know your your lawsuit moving forward. And if you know more people are jumping on board, how they can help out, or how, even better, if you've been affected, if you're a victim or a target of this type of behavior by your company, man, get a hold of my man. So, Danielle, thank you for the hookup. I appreciate that. Love you, too. And I'm just going to sign off now by saying goodbye to everyone else. As we say goodbye, I say goodbye to you as well. Adieu. Adieu. Anything else you want to say before we go? Anyone? They're all mum. This is when you say, oh, yeah, I know. You got to rant. Here's my speech. Okay. I love you, too. Peace. Get off my computer. I'm out of here. And meeting for all. Later, bro. That's how you do that. My thanks to the kids who came out today. Uh, That was Corey Hagobian. Hagobian. He says it's more like a huh hugobian what the hell man like seriously is this the is so uh, let me tell you a little bit about my friend Corey, alexander hugobian um let's just cruise his feed and see how much of an activist this kid is all right i agree with all this stuff though that's the problem bad for me yeah it's a little paranoia probably not really bad so my my Facebook's been acting up too but I don't usually go to the bad thing right well maybe I'm bullshit in a world of Smith's be a neo love it what's this that's probably some outrage I'm not a conspiracy theorist you're a fucking idiot like in real time I'm stalking my man's wall we're new friends and I have a few open spaces now since the massive purge that Laura Yip caused me yesterday by, oh, what are you, five? What else we got here? Time to rise up, Canada. I support this. I uh, might even, oh, that's Captain Tony. I would have shared it if it would have been your thing, but I don't know who that guy is. I'm not sharing his stuff. Interview Pizza, 19 hours ago being given papers so that I can travel without police interference is oddly reminiscent of things I read about in history class not to mention he's Armenian I think they uh, went through a a quiet genocide <laughs> so I don't know that was my guy what do you think I don't know um, thank you Danielle, for the hookup I thought that was really cool you Thinking to me. Here we go. Meme. Yeah, we're holding your hair, babies. We're holding your hair. You come around. Oh, I forgot to tell him, do not reference Chris Sky. You want to reduce all your credibility? Tell everyone that Chris Sky is a friend of yours or you look up to him or he kind of... Of course, I'm being tongue-in-cheek, but you get what I mean. Chris Sky is a freedom fighter Okay, so I guess I got to come back out here tonight for a Jim fan and show well because that's what I do Thursday nights and I guess You know Laura Yip will be on my lips because well what a better place for Laura Yip to be than on my lips um, After 208 comments edited to add can you believe can help uh, you know the purge is on. <laughs> so even though I did enough broadcasting for today, and I think I did a eighteen hour well fourteen hour broadcast yesterday. I turned that Joe Biden speech into a fourteen hour uh, epic uh loop of want some. Yeah, I played all night. It's cool. So I guess we'll hit this tonight. We have the video. We have the receipts. Your comments did not go unnoticed, Laura, before you took it down. Oh, yes, the defamation, the libel that you were responsible for generating on your wall because you can't put it away. You can't put it down. You can't say no to the media. (laughs) Man, I feel sorry for you, dude. Anyway, yeah, the purge is on. Anyway, hello, oh, Scott Chamberlain. Always just something genius. Water seeks its own level. Thanks for scum. Thanks. Thanks for scumming out. Scumming out. Yeah. Thanks for scumming out. All right. Oh, it's 102. I've done nothing with my day today. But that was a, pretty, uh, was a pretty solid interview. What do you think? Come on. And Saturday, I'm being kidnapped and taken downtown for 1 p.m. Memorial Park. Yep, right at the foot of the new $100 million going bridge. Right beside 610 CKTB call now 905-688-2582 that's six eight eight two five eight two straight down the middle of the dial if you've got the touch tone phone it's nine oh five six eight eight two five eight two right down the middle of the dial and now what do we go out with want some could do it you're gonna have to ask though all right peace love now take that mask off go out knock on your neighbor's door give them your digits go dude we don't talk that often here's my number anything goes wrong you got a friend in me I'm right next door I'll come running then Give him a nice hug. (laughs) Make sure you got no mask on. I am out.